Before we get into today's episode with Pat Divoli, where he goes into real-life practical ways of doing inner work, I want to say some words from our sponsor, Ethos. Ethos are an Irish stress care brand with supplements to help us to build resilience to modern life stresses, restore our mental health and our physical balance. And they have identified five key areas of health that are directly impacted by stress, including the gut, the mind, sleep, our body's defense and energy. And the products are formulated to support us in those areas of health. I myself use the rest drops before bed to help me to get high quality sleep and aid me in recovery as I train for ultramarathons. I also use the Repair Balm to help with muscle inflammation when I'm after having some hard training sessions. So thank you so much to Ethos, our, our sponsors. If you would like to purchase any of the Ethos products, we have a code here on Flip the Script FTS20 on the Ethos website to get 20% off. Thank you and enjoy the episode. I'm very excited about today's guest. Um, I'm going to forget what episode it is. Uh, We're in season three. I think it's episode 13. Are you superstitious, Pat? I thought you were going to say, am I up to date with the podcast? No, I'm not. (laughs) Do I know what episode it is? I'm not not superstitious. I don't don't fucking listen to your podcast, Connor. Um, (laughs) No, I'm delighted to have Pat on uh, today. Um, I was on your podcast, I'd say it was two years ago, I'd say now, is it two or three years ago? I was living in Ackle Island, so two or three years ago, I'd say at that stage. And uh, I was just talking about it. off air before we came on and uh, it was like oh Jesus like you know I kind of have to have my shit together here now with Pat like he's just you know he's this guy he's up on a pedestal and then I hop on and go well you have a great setup there in the studio he goes this is my fucking kitchen you know and I'm like <laughs> it kind of settled the whole thing and um, so I don't know if I can do that here with you and just kind of settle the whole vibe <laughs> but hopefully I have already by forgetting what season it is but um, I'd like to welcome Pat to the podcast thank you so much Pat for giving up your time thank uh, you. to come on um, I was asked by Gavin Meenan, I was just on his podcast there, at the very end, a really interesting question that I never thought about before was, what question do you, would, you, know, do you wish interviewers would ask, uh, right? And or as an interviewer, what do you think that like, people don't ask, which you think is very important? And I actually asked, I actually said to ask people about their childhood. Mm. and their relationship with their parents. Because mm. right? I think that tells a lot. And when, when, I, when I was talking to Gavin, I was talking about working with clients, right? And how when I talk to them about those things, even though it's not a psychotherapy relationship, it's a coaching relationship, it still tells me an awful lot about their working life performance, all these things. Mm. So with that being said, Pat, right, would you be able to give me, a, you know, I don't know anything about your childhood or, or your relationship with your parents. Would you be able to go into that with me first? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go for a fight. Let's Let's dive deep. Funnily, that's easier than the question of, you know, what do I want people to ask? Because I did hear that in a podcast recently. What's the question you want to ask? And Mm. what what, what, what is it? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know either, to be honest. But we can get to it, maybe. Yeah. We can touch (laughs) on it before before the end of the pod. It's going to be a long episode. Uh, Childhood. I grew up in Limerick. Uh, We spent, we moved around a lot. So I think five or six houses in the first seven or eight years. Why? uh, my dad was just starting out in work and I suppose he was making a bit more money each time and moving out of rougher estates into better <laughs> estates. <laughs> you were coming up in the game. Uh, he was coming up in the game, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then we moved to Galway and moved around more. So 
think I was in seven or eight houses by the time I was 10, which will have definitely played a role, you know, in, in how I see myself. Uh, I definitely believe, you know, those early years leave an imprint on, I think your family of origin basically um, mirrors how you see the world later on in life. So if you feel safe in your family of origin, uh, you're going to feel safe in the world. If you're supported and you can take risks and you can come back to uh, a safe environment, I think it teaches you, you can go out into the world and try things and take risks. Um, moving around a lot, I think, left me with a bit of an imprint that I'm always the new guy, that I need to kind of prove myself, that I don't fit in. So there was some narratives there. Uh, relationship to my parents, um, we get on really well now. I think my dad was quite, uh, you know, the more work I do, the more I understand his viewpoint and stuff like that. But I think he was quite hard on me, maybe is not the right word, but he would have a different mindset and he was very security based, like wanting to save for the rainy day, to get things right, um, to not make mistakes. I think he tried to like uh, stop me making any mistakes. So there would have been a good bit of um, judgment maybe as to how I should be living. So I think that we, we butted heads quite a lot in my teens and even later on coming into the fitness industry, he told me, you know, you're never going to make any money as a fitness guy. You're never going to make a career with that. And um so, yeah, I, I was supported. Um, I think my dad probably wanted to get it right. I was the first child and probably uh, didn't want to see me make mistakes, which makes complete sense. But to me, sometimes that felt like I can't be my own man. Uh, I need to do it his way. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the formative years were moving around a lot and believing I'm the new guy. A lot of bullying when I was young, young. Um, so there was a sense of there's something wrong with me. I don't fit in. And then my dad sort of having his uh, vision as to how I should show up in the world, I think, again, probably impacted me in feeling like maybe it's not safe to be myself. Mm. Um, so, yeah, in terms of how that's impacted me since, I think there's quite, you know, I think, I think the difficult voices we deal with early on, whether that's a bully or it's a teacher or it's a coach or it's someone that challenges us, that ultimately becomes our inner critic. So sometimes my inner critic will say, I don't know if you're doing this right this is a safer way to do this. Stop taking chances, you know, and all that kind of stuff comes through. So I think it's mirrored from stuff I would have heard early on. Mm. I what, what struck me there was like always feeling like the new guy, mm. right? Do you feel like you sought the family or like the security of a home in other places? Um, you know, funnily, I, I always felt safe at home. I think I always felt safe at home. And that was probably like jarring that the first day I went to school, because I, I went to school a year early, so I was four or five. Um, and sometimes it feels ridiculous talking about this stuff when I'm in my 30s, but I work with guys in their 70s and 80s that will talk about how, you know, it breaks my heart sometimes. Like a guy will talk about how he pissed his pants in boarding school and was slagged for it, and he holds it for decades. You know, he thinks there's something wrong with him. So... You know, um, people that aren't really into the work maybe don't see the impact of those formative years. Mm. But I would say, you know, my world changed when I went to school for the first time. And on my first day of school, I was bullied. And it went from kind of I'm safe at home and I'm protected and everything's okay to, oh God, this is not comfortable anymore. This is not, you know, I don't know who I am. I don't know how to fit in. And obviously then I became a chameleon and figured out a million different ways of trying to stay safe. And ultimately my purpose, I think, in life since I've come to this work has been about recognizing where I'm wearing masks and where I'm being a chameleon and reclaiming my authentic self. I think that's what I'm trying to do in life. So, you know, I think in those early years, we experienced pain in different forms. 
uh, to cover up the pain, we come up with masks and strategies and defense mechanisms. And then I think when you come to the work, there's a potential to start to kind of let go of those defense mechanisms. Mm. Do you accept yourself? Do I accept myself? <laughs> um, not all the time. No, not all the time. Um, uh, a lot more than I did in the past, for sure. I was very conditional with myself up until my tw late 20s, probably. You know, it was easy to accept myself when I was successful or I was busy or I was productive or I was getting validation or approval. Um, yeah, it was easy to accept myself when other people accepted me. Mm. Uh, it was difficult to accept myself when I wasn't being productive, when I wasn't being um, of value, if you want to put it that way. Um, so I think the work over the last couple of years and continuously is like, what are the parts that I don't accept? When am I not comfortable with myself? And I would say... Yeah, sometimes when I slow down and I'm not producing as much work, mm. parts of myself come in that are hard to, to be with. Um, yeah, it's an ongoing thing. I didn't preface that question or explain the question mm. whatsoever for you because I wanted that kind of a raw answer really, right? Mm. And it's very interesting speaking to you as somebody that has done the work or has has looked at his had at himself inwardly to the level that you have because there's always uh uh these kind of little mini light bulbs are going off for me in terms of like i know what you're talking about in terms of i like who i am when i am who i want to be mm. but i when i'm not the person who i want to be it's about do i accept those parts of myself and and that's acceptance yeah is accepting every form that you have yeah. Right. And that's difficult mm. because I think I, you know, as well with with the with this inner work is we can have a propensity to bullshit ourselves and feel like, oh, I accept who I am. But yet the minute I'm not in this state of homeostasis or I'm in this state where I'm comfortable in, uh, there's the, the regression. Mm. You know, do you find that sometimes that it's kind of like a. It, it, that the process continues and you learn something new each time or? Yeah, it deepens and it deepens and it deepens because, I mean, one of the things I talk about is do you come from wounding or do you come from worth? And I've actually referenced you in the past when I've talked about this because in my eyes, not that I know you all that well, but from what I see looking in, you're one of the few endurance guys that I see that I think really gets, actually, may, maybe I'm making a judgment there. Maybe there's a lot of endurance guys that get a lot of buzz from what they do. Mm. Obviously, get a buzz from what they do. But you're one of the guys that I'm like, he seems to really love it. And he's coming from a place of I love myself and I want to push myself and see what I can do. So that's coming from worth. It's kind of like, I'm okay as I am. And if I do this thing, great. Mm. Uh, coming from wounding is there's something inherently wrong with me. I've got these wounds. I'm not going to address the wound. I'm going to go and prove myself to the world. So my 20s were like, write books, get on the telly. Uh, open a gym, make loads of money, buy a house, buy a car, like relentless pursuit of like fix the wound. And how I put it to people now is to say like, if I cut my knee and my strategy for fixing my knee is to look everywhere except for my knee, mm. I'm going to massage my shoulders, I'm going to put my feet in the feet, you know, and if I just look away from the wound, like what am I doing? And similar, if I have a sense of I'm not enough, if I struggle to be with myself when I'm lonely, if I struggle to be with myself when I'm bored, if I struggle to be with my anger um, and I run and I go anywhere but those places, ultimately I'm ignoring the wound. Mm. And so my whole life is driven from the wound. We think we can push things away and pretend they're not there. 
but it's there. It's kind of like people that say, I don't want to be like my dad. And ultimately, that's a reactive way of living because you're not choosing how to live. You're just choosing to be the opposite of your dad. Mm -hmm. So it's not you being an individual. Um, so yeah, um, that's, that's the work. I think, you know, in my twenties, a lot of people, were, so maybe that's a challenge too. And, and again, I would probably imagine some of this comes up in your own experience, but my twenties, I failed with a business in Dublin, felt a lot of shame. I felt, you know, I'm useless, I'm worthless, I, I'm lost, I'm broken to the point of suicidal at times um, because I wrapped up so much of my worth in being someone who might achieve. And when I started again and I grew this business and again, bought the house and the car and did all the stuff you're supposed to do, everyone from the outside looking in was saying, wow, you've turned it around, you're doing well. But they didn't realize I was being driven by wounding. You know, I was being driven by, oh, if I just get the next thing. Mm. I always, you know, I, I say to people, I thought when I got on the Late Late Show, he was going to give me some kind of golden ticket that would make the rest of my life easy. Mm. But the more I achieved, the more of a magnifying glass almost I felt on my insecurities because it was kind of like everyone thinks I'm doing okay, but I don't feel okay. Um, and that's when the work began, I think, the real work. You probably become lonely in that way because you nobody feels like they're, you, you don't feel like anyone's going to understand you. Mm. Because if you feel like everybody has this view of you, how do you show that the, the side of you that is not part of their view? Yeah. You know, how do you show the real, what really what's going on inside in there? Like, you know, you, when you touched on the, whether it's coming from wounding or worth, mm. it's very, I, I just, I use the, the words love and hate, right? Mm. And it's very similar to, you know, uh, kind of, I suppose, ideologies. I definitely entered and continued through my time in Thai boxing from a place of hate. Mm. Hating who I was and feeling I was, I should be rejected. Mm. And I should be abandoned, right? Because I felt I felt a lot of rejection as a small child um, throughout my life in multiple different facets. And I was always constantly seeking, unbeknownst to myself, um, a place to belong, a place to feel like I was me. Yeah. Right. And I hadn't I didn't feel like that. I learned that and I learned that I was that's the reason why I had this positive feedback loop with Thai boxing mm. of like continually training and fighting and doing this to trying to to heal that so that I come to running from a place of love. Yeah. So you, you, it's very, um, it's definitely has parallels with what you're talking about there. Like, you know, and you, you say love and hate, and I would use a similar language and say love and fear. Mm. Um, the fear is showing my true self. Um, so love is showing, showing my true self. Like love mm. is I'll welcome all of me and everything's, everything's acceptable and I'm unconditionally accept who I am. Uh, fear isn't going to hide who I am because I'll be shamed. Because mm -hmm. you think about like, generally the parts of ourselves we don't accept, somebody early on didn't accept those parts of us. So ultimately they were, they were shamed. And when something is shamed, we push it down and we're like, I better not show this again. So the work we do now with men's work, I would say part of that work is to allow guys a safe space to bring up the parts that were pushed away. Mm. So a man can cry. And for the first time in his life, maybe people don't judge him, don't run away from him, don't mock him, don't shame him. And so that's how healing happens. So I guess the same thing for ourselves. It's like all of these parts that are difficult to be with, all of the wounds that we try to run from, there was some time in our life where we were told it's not safe to show that. And so we learned to hide it. And so we've spent decades hiding it. That's why I think we have to be patient with, you know, coming back to ourselves. That's why we drink, smoke, watch porn, all these other strategies that we have to avoid the fear of feeling. All, um, all destructive behavior is ultimately the fear of feeling. That, that's what we fear. Mm. Feeling sadness, feeling anger, feeling grief, you know?
And for those, for those that don't know, for the for the male and female listeners to the podcast that don't know, like what what is men's work? If you were to describe it to somebody, yeah. Um, you know, myself and yourself were on a panel recently at Moonstock, obviously, and I think there was five of us speaking up there and kind of giving our take on men's work, and it was it was cool to even see in that. There's lots of different ways of doing men's work. There's lots of different perspectives. There's lots of different people that will resonate with you versus resonate with me versus resonate with resonate with David Farrell and John Boland and all these other great men. Um, for me, men's work is about bringing men together in a safe space where they can practice different parts of themselves. Um, so, you know, if I'm conditioned from an early age to be told you're not supposed to feel your feelings and I hide all my feelings and I do that for decades, I put myself into a very small box as to what's safe to show. So I would say most men tell themselves, I'm not supposed to cry. I'm not supposed to be angry. I'm not supposed to be too happy. Uh, I'm not supposed to be too out there. And so there's all these conditions. So you talk about acceptance. We become very conditional in our acceptance of ourselves, And so the box gets smaller and smaller. And I would suggest a men's group is a place where men can come and they can potentially share or show parts of themselves that haven't been shown in decades. And the part of the healing comes from being accepted in that. So if I haven't cried in 20 years, it's one thing to cry at home, doing a breath work or doing, you know, doing, doing some practice or just watching a film, whatever it might be. That's mm -hmm. one thing to cry, but to cry in front of a group is ultimately, you know, a completely different thing because most of our wounds come in relationship. So most of our wounds happened because somebody else said it's not safe and it's not right for you to show those parts of yourself. So I think the healing needs to happen back in relationship to other people. Uh, so men's work is about men coming together and um, showing up authentically, moving from the head to the heart, meaning moving from fear to love um, and mirroring each other. Like when you share stories in a group, I'll see a part of myself in your story. And hopefully when I share, you'll see a part of yourself in my story. And the biggest feedback I get, and you probably get similar, is guys just saying, it's just nice to know that I'm not the only one going through what I'm going through. It's funny because there's a part of me that will prepare all this content and all this stuff we're going to do for the day. And then the guys are checking out and they're just like, it's just nice to know I'm not the only one who's lost sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, ah. Oh. Yeah, it's the simple things, isn't it? It's yeah. like to be allowed to feel how we feel. Yeah. So I'll say like when people say like, oh, the, the post or what you said resonated with me. It's like what I feel like resonation is like, I, I allowed you to have a feeling mm. about your own life mm. and not feel guilty or shameful or bad about it and it, it is that and i think i i, I i'm um, a big believer i suppose or you know a proponent of evolutionary psychology right where we're just we're basically animals yeah very very um complex animals and i think that comes back to our tribal nature our ability to survive was vastly improved when we worked together and so uh, if we are able to to interact and be in a tribe i think that's one of the one of the best feelings that we can get mm. is to not all is to is to feel accepted and and if possible useful in a group yeah you know and like um how would i want to i want to address a lot of because there's going to be a lot that uh, for me even right and this is going to be completely honest mm. for me even six years ago mm. listening to you speak about that mm. i, I might have been skeptical sure Right yeah. no, not I, I'm not. Mm. No, I I, and it's not that I drank the Kool Aid. You know, it's <laughs> it's not that I'm like you know. Oh my God, I'm on this buzz or whatever. Sure, it's because I really do feel like it from myself mm. of digging in deep and then. 
digging to the point where I'm hitting the bullshit and then realizing that I'm once again feeding myself what I want and what keeps me safe and comfortable and not questioning things. Mm. How, how would you speak to that man? Yeah. Even six years ago, I was the same, you know, I would say my journey with this stuff was initially it was fitness and martial arts. And that kind of showed me that when you invest in your health, you see changes like no one can, you can't pay someone to do your pushups for you. You've got to do the work and you see the results. So that was where I started. And then I started thinking about goal setting and okay, if I can set goals in the gym, I can probably do it in business and other areas. And then I did a bit of coaching. So it was very mind based. And that's what helped me in my twenties to achieve all these things. But when I achieved everything I wanted and then didn't feel comfortable on myself, I said, there's something more here than just the mind and just the body. And that's like the emotional aspect of ourselves and the spiritual aspect. So what I would suggest for those men, um, I never try to push guys into anything. You know, I think you have to come to a place where you, you, and some guys never in their life will need this. You know, I've got friends that I'm quite envious of that I grew up with and they seem very content just like doing their thing and mm. that, that they'll never read a book about personal development. They'll never be into it. And I, I think that's, that's amazing. Mm. So I think there's a certain element that has a, you'll have a call to it. A lot of the books around men's work over the years will say that 30 is around the age where men, 30 to 35 is the age where men will start to question things a little bit. Because usually by that point, you've established yourself to some degree. Maybe you've started a relationship or a family. Uh, you've got a business or you've got a, a career where you're somewhat established. And I guess that's when you start questioning, who am I beyond this? You know, mm. uh, a lot of my clients would be around that age where there's kind of like, okay, I've made a bit of money. I've, you know, I've got my family now. I've got my friend circles kind of fallen away and stuff. So I think mid thirties guys start to question sometimes. Younger guys now as well are quite open to this. But also guys coming to retiree age, you know, there's that question of like, who am I now? I've raised my family. And um, so my suggestion for guys would be ultimately the bigger the challenges you're facing in life, I think the bigger the support system that you need is. And you probably again, like, you know, I'm sure that the bigger the race you run or the more logistics involved, the more of a support crew that you need. So if you're struggling in life, you're going to need support. And you can go for therapy, you can go for coaching, you can get into the gym, you can do lots of different things. But for me, the men's space is a place where you can go and be around a bunch of other men who have varying degrees of experience and challenges and problems. Like one of the things for me, I'm 30, what am I, 36? And I would say the challenge that, that I've been with for the last couple of years is like, I'm not in intimate relationship. Like I'm not in a, a long-term relationship and I'd like to be. So I've done well in business, I've done well in other areas. And I, you know, I just haven't met someone yet that, that I can be in an intimate relationship with. And I look around me and I feel like, oh, I'm the only one left. I'm the only, you know, and, mm. which is illogical and not true, but that's one of my wounds. And for me to sit in a men's circle, there might be guys there in their 60s and 70s that'll say, I met the love of my life when I was 50. And there's a part of me that kind of relaxes and is like, oh. And I know a part of me shouldn't ever compare or need to hear something from someone else. But, and there might be another man who looks like the happiest guy in the world and he, he's got his amazing family and everything. He'll say, I'm, I'm miserable. You know, I'm really mm. miserable. And so... Same as what I said for other men saying to me, it's just nice to know I'm not the only one struggling. That's what I get from those groups. So I'd say for men, you know, um, look, I, I'll talk about lots of different concepts and ideas and everything, but ultimately a big challenge for men is they don't have friends, you know, beyond the age of 30. They, they, I think they say 50% of men in the States said something like they didn't feel there was one person they could call if shit hit the fan. Um, so... 
find friends, whether mm. it's in a martial arts gym or a running club or it's one of our men's groups or something like that. Mm. You need allies in life. Um, you know, one of the groups I'm in in the States, they talk about the lone wolf and they kind of romanticize this idea of the, the lone wolf. But ultimately, the lone wolf dies um, because they starve on their own. And when they're howling, it's because they're starving to death. So the way wolves, coming back to our animal psychology or our evolutionary psychology piece, wolves hunt in packs. And the reason they hunt in packs is because some of the wolves are good at spotting what's in the distance. Others are good hunters. And so they need to be together. And that's how they evolved over time. Um, and as humans, as you say, we only survived because we were in collaboration and connection with other people. Um, I often reference, you know, if a fire alarm goes off in the studio where we are here, our defense strategies are fight, flight or freeze. So we'll either run, we'll try to fight the fire or we'll collapse and play dead. But before going to those three strategies, our first way of staying safe will be to look each other in the eyes because I'll look at Connor and I'll say, okay, if he's freaking out, maybe I should freak out. And if I'm freaking out, maybe he should. The social connection is our first port of call. And with male suicide, the reason there's a lot of male suicide is because a lot of men find themselves isolated and in shame. And when you're in shame, your story is that I'm different. There's something wrong with me. There's something inherently flawed in me. And when we feel that, we often push people away. And the more we push away, the truer the story feels. And we just live in our heads and that's when we kind of fall off. So that's probably a long-winded way of saying for the guys that are skeptical, if it's not your time and you don't feel you need it at the moment, no need for it. But if, if you're a bit challenged, if you feel a bit lost, if you uh, find yourself going to addictive behaviors, you know, you can't stop watching porn, you can't stop drinking too much, you can't stop repeating unhelpful cycles. Those for me would be signs that you need some support. Um, mm -hmm. Because we often shame ourselves for these things that we do. We're like, why do I keep self-sabotaging? Why am I acting like I was when I was a teenager, even though I'm in my 30s or 40s or 50s? It's because there's some pain that you're trying to avoid. And you learned a way in your teens or earlier to avoid that pain. Mm. And you never learned a way of dealing with the pain in a healthy way. So that's what you learn when you come into a community. Mm. This, it's so, it's, uh, you know, certain things that you're saying are reverberating back into what I'm experiencing in my life where I, I would sit down with, with, a, with, with somebody and uh, we would do a wheel of life. So we do a wheel of life. This is a, kind of a discovery tool um, to kind of see uh, where people's energies are being put and things like that. And when we get to social, Mm. With men of my age, mm. it's like, ah, it's a one out of 10 or whatever, yeah. a lot of the time. And they're like, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm okay with not having a social life. Maybe it's because we're branding social life with going out having pints mm. or whatever. And and that's maybe more so a cultural thing for us as Irish people is that we're, we're thinking social, oh yeah, drinking or whatever. But mm. social is actually our interpersonal connections with people outside of our family, really, isn't it? It's like you, you define you know, we, we define what our social um, relationships are. Mm. And it is it is mad that we do let those things kind of slide in ways. Is it, I, I, look, again, you know, there is only a finite amount of energy we can put into everything anyway. Yeah. So like if, if, if we find that the easiest thing to let go of is our interpersonal relationships, we'll see that as our maybe our short term, um, you know, a, a short term good, but in the long term, you know, if you're looking for people as a support network mm. outside of your family, if you feel like you want to, to uh, let's say, vent about something that's happening in your family life or whatever, you're you're left leaving yourself on your own. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I run this 10 week men's course that we're, 
I think we're eight weeks into it now. So we go through different modules. We start by looking at masculine core, which is kind of like learning how to ground yourself, learning how to uh, respond rather than react. Then we look at some shadow. So the parts of yourself you've pushed away. Then we look at emotional awareness. So getting better at naming how you feel and recognizing what you need. But the last two weeks we've moved into communication and all the guys, like I'm asking, how are you feeling? And they're all like, this stuff feels edgy for me. Like this is, this is starting to push me a little bit now. The communication stuff is, and they all notice that this is where the growth lies is in the communication piece. Because the reason I bring this up is, as you mentioned there, if you don't have a social circle and you've got no outlet for sharing some of the challenges you're having with your partner or you're having with your kids or whoever it might be. I think this is one of the big challenges is years ago, we lived in a village. And there was a hundred people in the village and everyone had a specific role within the village. So you might be the endurance running coach in the village. Uh, I might be something else in the village, a writer in the village. There's a baker, there's a psychologist, there's a, probably n- none of these roles, but there was certain roles in the village. And the beauty in having all these roles within the village was everyone mattered. Everyone was important. And there wasn't so much ego because your role was not about you. It was about how you contributed amongst the village. And so people were really in it for the group environment. So it was village first, and then it was your family, and then it was yourself. But then if we reflect on how it is in more recent decades, it's the self first. Some people then have family. Most people don't have the village. Mm. And so the life becomes very self-centered and self-focused. And as a result, we put a lot of our needs on our partners. So if I'm seeing someone back in the day, maybe there was the village that could support my needs. So I have a need for social connection, I have a need for validation, I have a need for shelter, I have a need for food, I have a need for play, I have a need for creativity, of all these different needs. And now a lot of us project most of those needs onto one person uh, and vice versa, which makes it mm. difficult, right? Um, so again, I think that speaks to the importance of having a social outlet. And something else I notice is If I get a lot of praise and approval or direct feedback from my work, like you do the podcast and you get a lot of good feedback on the podcast, I'm sure, and from your coaching clients and your corporate clients, you're getting all this great feedback. You're seeing these things that you're building. And if you go home and then a partner is to kind of criticize you about something, which Mm. is what happens in life um, because we're we're close to people, there's a part of us that can say, I'm just going to go back to work. It's much Mm. easier. I'm getting direct feedback all the time at work as to whether I'm doing a good job or not. And Mm. I never feel like I'm doing a good job Mm. at home. So sometimes I think the relational side of things is difficult for men because oftentimes when there's a bit of criticism or there's a judgment or fill in the blank, our Mm. minds sometimes go straight to, I never get anything right. Mm. Nothing I ever do is going to be enough. We go through this catastrophizing. Um, So yeah, I think more reason to have places where you can share what's going on for you. I think sometimes we probably bring too, my experience at least, I've brought too much to my partner. Mm. I've brought stuff that I should have just brought to friends and kind of mm. murkies the waters, if you will. Mm. Yeah, because that's, that's and it's not even sometimes maybe that our partner even criticized us. It might even just maybe we actually just failed to do something or to, to uphold, let's say, some part of an unwritten thing that we have within the relationship, like didn't put out the clothes or yeah. something like that. And then there's like a, a thing where, oh, Jesus, I have to do this now, you know, your partner does. Yeah. Or which like speaking from my experience as a father, right, we do we have something where the child is upset and we have no idea what to do there. We're in a situation then where I know everything what to do in my professional life. Yeah. I'm never out of pocket. I'm never not knowing what to do. 
you're in this situation. What do you do then? Like, you know, and I've had, I've heard stories of, um, of guys that would finish work and they drive home and they'll actually wait in the car until they think their children are in bed. Wow. Yeah. Right. And I, I feel like I know there's an initial reaction that people would say to that. It's like, geez, that's such an asshole. Like what an asshole. I feel so sorry and sad for those men Mm -hmm. because obviously they're feeling like they cannot, because if they, if you felt useful Mm. in that situation, you'd be straight out of the car. Mm. You'd be straight out of the car and you being useful in that situation. And if you're not feeling useful, I think that's what, uh, is a thing is like oh I'm I'm this high powered corporate so and so and then I come home and I feel out of my depth hmm. I think that that might be something that people would struggle with right and I wanted to segue here um, in in what you're talking about and your courses that you're putting on there's obviously demand for this right hmm. so what do you think is the what do you think are the biggest challenges that modern men are being faced with right now I would say it's probably about range. So by range, I mean, is most of us have learned one or two ways of being. So as you say there, you can be very good at being in the warrior and getting things done and being focused and disciplined in a work capacity. But maybe we don't have the range to shift into more of an emotional way of being. So can I express how I feel? Can I express what I need? Uh, can I share from the heart rather than being stuck in my head? Um, it's, it's, you know, I've, I've done a bunch of podcasts over the years where I've talked about the archetypes, which can be a useful frame. I don't know if you've looked mm-hmm. at the archetypes. Yeah, no, tell me about it. Well, you know, the, the really quick kind of introduction for it would be to say, as men, we have many different facets. Um, and there was a book written back in the 90s called King Warrior, Magician Lover. And this kind of provided a map of the male psyche. And so the idea was that you've got a king within you. And if your king is in a healthy place, you've got a sense of vision for your life. You've got a sense of uh, structure and order. You've, you've, you're sat on your throne. You're saying, this is my life. This is what's important. This is my kingdom. And you know where you are. Uh, that's a healthy king. If you're not in healthy king, you'll tend to have too much king, which is kind of a tyrant who just doesn't care about anyone else and just wants to plow through life. A lot of politicians we see are kind of tyrants. They just mm. power. I'm going to hold power over other people. Or if you've got very little king energy, you'll tend to be a weakling and you project your power onto other people. You put people on pedestals all the time. You put yourself down. So men's work partially is about finding your healthy king. Can I get back on the throne? Can I get a vision for my life? Can I get structure? Can I get organized? Uh, Can I be authentic to myself? Can I align with my values? And then the king alongside uh, him is a warrior. So the warrior is the part of you that goes out and takes action. So if you plan one of your runs, it's your king that has this vision. It's your warrior that actually gets out and does the road work and actually um, takes action, is disciplined, sets boundaries. Um, if your warrior is not healthy, oftentimes you'll be a pushover. So you have a hard time saying no. Um, you can uh, find yourself uh, just struggling to get going, struggling to get things done, struggling to set boundaries. Or sometimes guys are too much in the warrior and they're just kind of relentless. They'll go around chopping everything up. Mm. Their only way of being is to be on all the time. So that's the warrior. The lover then is more about feeling. So the lover is the part of us that can enjoy the journey, that can connect that can be present, that can be authentic. Some men are disconnected from their lover. We call them the impotent, which is there's a lack of lover energy. So they're kind of flat and depressed in life, mm. numb, dissociated, struggles to be here now, stuck in their heads, daydreaming. 
uh, or the other side is the addict who's constantly in a state of wanting to feel more. So they're chasing feeling and being rammed by their feelings all the time. And then the final aspect is the magician. The magician is the part of us that strategizes and plans, takes a step back, finds perspective, uses our thinking in a way that supports us. So if the king has a plan, the magician kind of helps. It's almost like an engineer. Um, some men are disconnected from their magician in a way that they see themselves as dumb. I can't do things. I can't think my way out of this. Um, and others are kind of manipulative. They use their mind to manipulate situations. So mm. that's a roundabout way of saying, I think the biggest challenge men have is range. So can I tap into a sense of vision for my life? And then can I be in my warrior during the day where I'm getting things done and I'm being disciplined? But then can I take off my armor when I come home and be loving with my family? And then when shit hits the fan, can I put on my Merlin's hat and be a magician that can kind of create transformation in my life? And because most of us have learned this one way to be, like from you did Thai boxing growing up, I did some martial arts growing up. We will have learned as young men that life is competitive. You need to win. You need to be stoic. You need to shut down your emotions. And so that's useful up to a certain point, but every strength becomes a weakness at a certain point. Um, so yeah, it's range. You know, how do we, how do we become more of what we could be? Mm. I, I'm, a, I'm a big man for, um, for what's step one, mm. right? On anything, right? So I'm like, if I think about anything, like pr Project 32 or doing something like big like that, I always think, okay, what's step number one, right? Yeah. Um, if you were in, if you were sitting into somebody else's shoes that's listening to this now and is resonating with what you're saying in terms of feeling this flat energy, feeling this kind of, uh, because I feel like for us to have the thoughts that we can change, we have to, in some part of us, think that it's possible. Yep. Right. So there's a, there's already a spark there. If you're listening to this podcast and thinking, I you know, I can do, I can do, you know, and I can, I can venture out and discover more. Mm. But what's step one? Step one is write down your needs in life. So as humans, we all have needs. Um, we've got our fundamental needs, which I'm going to assume most people listening to this have got covered. So the need for shelter, the need for food, the need for connection. Um, but then you as an individual will have specific needs that for you, help you to feel fulfilled, feel confident, feel authentic, feel aligned, feel on purpose, feel energetic and enthusiastic. So I would imagine one of your needs is some form of endurance running or mm. um, some of my needs are, I need to train jujitsu. For someone else, that's not going to make any sense, but I need that in my life for me to feel like my life is, is fun and enjoyable. I need a creative outlet. If I don't have that, I create a lot of anxiety in my mind because I've got a busy mind. I need to use some of that busyness to create things rather than um, create problems in my head. Uh, I need inspiring conversations um, because sometimes if I only connect with people that I grew up with that are living a more conventional life maybe than me, which is not anything wrong with that, but if they're working nine to five and, and I'm working kind of differently and traveling a lot and stuff, I start to feel crazy. So sometimes when I reconnect with people that are living a little bit differently, it helps put me at ease. So that's something I, I need. Um, what else do I need? I need work that's inspiring and I need to be studying and learning. So those are five of my needs. Mm -hmm. For a man who's very disconnected from his needs, it might be difficult to start to do that. But my starting point would be try to figure out what you need. So one of the ways you can do that, I call it the when life works list. So look back on your life. When have been the times you've been in most in flow? 
Some guys might say when I was in my early 20s, I traveled and I just loved it. I felt free. I felt enthusiastic. I was just excited about life. And you could look at what were the elements that were true in that. Meeting new people, uh, experiencing new cultures, going to new places. How can you bring that into your life today? Um, so you maybe have a need for adventure. And ultimately, when these needs are not met, you'll experience difficult feelings. Your feelings, your difficult feelings point to your unmet needs. So when I feel lonely, my need for connection is not being met. When I feel angry, my need for support or for boundaries is not being met. When I feel grief, my need for maybe connection is not being met. So rather than seeing your feelings as bad, you can see them as pointing you back to your needs that you're not fulfilling upon. Mm. And what happens is when we don't meet our needs, we do stupid things. So to give you an example, I need inspiring and interesting conversations. And when they don't happen, I don't, and I don't prioritize those conversations, I feel lonely and isolated. And when I feel lonely and isolated, my strategy is to go and drink beer or to eat junk food or to sit down in front of Netflix for hours to numb the pain of isolation. Mm. Now, if I could work backward and I could say the feeling is loneliness, what do I need? I need connection. Now I can start to actually self-care rather than self-abandon. So I would suggest people have a think about what are the things that contribute? What's your recipe for a good life? Mm. Maybe there's exercise. Maybe there's time in nature will be a common one. Mm. But start making those a priority in your life um, and, and watch how your life changes. You mentioned earlier how a lot of guys will, um, will uh, have social very low on their wheel of life mm. and they'll be quite strong maybe in career. I notice a lot of people default to saying I need to change my job because something doesn't feel good in my life. And their default is I'm going to change my job, which can put a lot of stress on someone to change their job, of course. Mm. Maybe that person just needs to find a social outlet or needs to find a hobby or needs to do some other things. There's 168 hours in the week. If you could give yourself back three or four of those hours for hobby, for socializing or for meeting your needs, everything else starts to become easier. So that would be my starting point. Mm, I like that I, I, because this is the thing that I think combats a lot of what what a skeptical version of me would be is like how does it practically yeah you know how how do you how do you actually use it yeah you know because we're, we're we're men we're practical in lots of ways you yeah. know certain times human beings women and men are are have practical uses for things with thousands of years and tools and stuff so that we want to be able to use stuff so when you say there about the the needs thing, it's actually a great tool for developing awareness. Yeah. Because that's what we all need. If we are to make any change, first of all, I have to have that that light bulb or we have to at least think that something might be a right mm. or something can change. And yeah. that all starts with that awareness. So having your list of, of needs, I, I do similar things with clients where I say, walk me through your ideal day. Yeah. Nice. Um, and so it's not so much like um not walk me through the ideal day and then we try and, uh, you know, make that happen exactly. Mm. But how we, how we, do, as you said, there is, okay, oh, so you want to go for a walk early in the morning. So exercise and going outside in nature is something you value. Nice. Yeah. And then you move from there. So it's, I, I love how um, these things that, these concepts that can seem very, like when you were, you were talking about the archetypes, right? Mm. Can seem very, up here and yeah. then pointing upwards. Sure. Actually, can you bring, you can actually bring them down here to, yeah. to your being by simply creating a structure. And that, that is a key for developing confidence with anything because we're in this information age where I notice a lot of people start to consume 
you got the skeptics with this work and then you've got the obsessives with this work that come into it and they just want to know it all and they want to read all the books and they want to do all that stuff. Your confidence will actually diminish if you keep reading material and listening to material and never applying the things that you're hearing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if someone's listening to this, I would really encourage you to just give yourself a half an hour to, you know, do that exercise or do something else that you hear. Um, I was going to just flip the script. Oh, oh my. TM, TM. I have heard you talk in the past, I think about like over drinking and, and in, in your younger years. Um, when you look back, what do you think the feelings were that you were trying to um, mask or, or avoid? Um, lo uh, yeah, lots of, of things. But one of them was... Um, fear of being um fear of being kind of mediocre okay right yeah in 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 a in a in a very very strange way and also um i i had a lot of a, a ton of insecurity about myself as a man right okay. and how that kind of came about was um after thai boxing let's say was i was still seeking similar um, validations that I was a man and how that would, would happen was it would be very, very easy. Not that I would start a fight. Sure. But it would be very easy to get into a fight with me if you wanted to. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was something that I was then actually, I only consciously became aware of this towards the end of that time because it was getting really actually unmanageable and really unbearable for me to live my life. Mm. Um, so when I would go out uh, in tone and you'd get to that certain point, I I would I'd almost start posturing, mm. you know, to the point where I wanted someone to get into it because I had been uh, embarrassed so badly in like I not was knocked unconscious in, in a fight, a big fight. And it had such a long lasting effect on me yeah. because it wasn't just Thai boxing to me. Yeah. It was my whole acceptance and my whole uh, idea and worth of who I was was hinging on this fucking sport, mm, mm, you know. Mm. So when that was shattered, I had to basically rebuild myself. But in rebuilding myself, I was just again seeking more of that thing where, oh, I'm going to get in a fight in town. This guy is going to swing a punch at me. I'm going to easily avoid it and I'm going to punch him in the face. And that's going to be a way of me uh, keeping this going. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just being honest about it. It's an incredibly destructive behavior. Yeah. And it's fueled by alcohol and by this insecurity within myself that I'm not, that I wasn't a man. Yep. And I was trying to avoid that with alcohol. Like, you know, was was me being, getting these fight or flight feelings in the middle of the day. Yes. Thinking about times that, uh, you know, think times when I felt like I was marginalized as a man. Okay, so I'm going to... Um psychoanalyze it ignore if this doesn't feel but uh, i'm trying to map it a little bit again for the listener to we, we talk about needs and we talk about the when life works list and when you start fulfilling upon your needs on a consistent basis your confidence will grow mm -hmm. and you'll have a stronger sense of self and you'll be less likely to look, look outward for love now love is this internal thing that we develop through caring for ourselves like a child needs food a child needs attention a child needs rest a child needs recovery and so when they cry we don't say oh the baby's crying again we say okay they need something and we try to feed them and if they if they're still crying it's something else and so if we could take the same approach to our feelings and say okay i'm angry all the time i'm scared all the time rather than shaming ourselves 
and saying, you know, I'm stupid. Why do I keep, why? Does, we have that part, oh, why do I keep keep doing this? Like there's this frustration on self-sabotage. If you look at your self-sabotaging behaviors in life and if you ask yourself, what is the feeling I'm trying to avoid? So in your example, you said there was a lot of fear and the fear of mediocrity and the insecurities and maybe the fear of the insecurities being seen or you being exposed in some way. So this was your feeling. And if you can tie that feeling to what you need, the need was validation to some degree. And the way that you met that need for validation in an unconscious way, because you weren't probably aware of your need at that time, mm. was to drink and bump the shoulders with someone and suddenly there's a scrap, you get to knock someone out and mm. that validation is back. Um, if we reverse engineer that and we say, okay, the feeling is fear around mediocrity, the, f the need is validation, then we can start to think, how do I meet this need for validation in healthy ways? So it could be that I start writing down um, my wins for the day in the evening. It could be that I hire a coach and I help them develop, help get their help developing confidence. Um, I worked with a gambling addict years ago and I often tell the story, but we looked at like, what is this giving you? Because my belief is every destructive behavior is giving you something, otherwise you wouldn't do it because you're not stupid. Um, so when we talked around what the gambling was giving him, we came to realize he had become disconnected from his family and his friends. And the bookies was the only place in his life where he got social connection. Mm. So on some level, it makes complete sense that he goes to the bookies and he spends his time there because it's meeting the fundamental human need that we all have, which is connection. When I was in my twenties, I drank like a fish every weekend. I felt out of integrity. I felt out of alignment because I was a fitness guy, I get blackout drunk all the time. When I look back now, I say, well, it was giving me a place where I didn't have to be the boss because I was running a business a place where my mind would quieten because I was struggling mm -hmm. with anxiety and it gave me social connection. So it was ticking certain boxes. So people listening, if they're into this, could consider what are some of the behaviors that I beat myself up for? If I can be non-judgmental and ask myself, what did they give me? And uh, so junk food gives me a sense of comfort when I'm feeling stressed. Okay, how else could I find comfort when I'm feeling stressed? And um, I think this is the ultimate skill set, becoming more aware of how I feel what I need and then meeting that need. Mm -hmm. That's how you care for someone. That's how you care for yourself. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I definitely felt that within my own life when I started to re uh, move away from these destructive behaviors, when I had this kind of a, epiphanal moment of where I had to actually not seek acceptance from outside, but actually trying to accept who I am and, and accept the parts of me that I really didn't want to accept. Mm. And the parts of me that were like terrified when I would when, when I would fight, like I didn't like that yeah. of me. I think that's one of the reasons why I took so many fights as well. Like the fights would come up and I would be like, yeah, I'm going to go there. I'd fly to Manchester. And then two weeks later, we'd be up in Dublin and, you know, f way more than than what was normal nearly. And it was because um, there was this, uh, uh, you know, I wanted to show people that I would that I could do it. Mm. And the, the, the part of me that would get scared, I would try and chase out. Mm. And I think the best fighters are the best, I suppose, you know, to, to use fighting as, a, as a, a, a kind of a microcosm of life, the best ones are the people that can sit into that and accept it. Yeah. You know, and can like m not master it, but can just realize that it's there. Mm. And I, I think that was something that I brought into my life was just because something is comes in and it's uncomfortable doesn't mm. mean I have to chase it out. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, can we try and understand it better? Yeah. 
you know, um, and try try and try and work through it. You know, I, it's 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 difficult to think of it in such an easy way, mm. isn't it? Um, I think this is the power of reflection. You know, um, it's one thing for people to hear your story or my story, but for people to reflect on their own experience of life and to look back and think about the times where maybe they were self-destructive and to reflect with a bit of space, it's much easier. Like when we're in the breakup, it's very difficult to get out of the emotional aspect and find the logical and find the perspective and stuff. But oftentimes with some distance from the breakup or the destructive behavior or the job loss or the financial ruin or whatever the challenge we've had was, there's a huge amount to be learned from Again, people are obsessed now with reading personal development books and stuff, and I'm glad because I have a personal <laughs> development book out, but, but you'll never learn more than you will from looking back at your own life experience. I think if you never come to this work and you don't do this work, we all mature biologically, we all get older, we age by decades, but a lot of us get stuck psychologically at a certain age. And you could be playing out the same patterns that you played in your first 10 years of life for the rest of your life. So my example is, I'm the new guy, I don't fit in. And until I recognize that as being a pattern, I was just recreating that cycle time and time again. Be surrounded by hundreds mm -hmm. of great people, but I still saw myself as the new guy. So you have to know your patterns to break your patterns. Um, Anthony DeMello, who's one of my favorite teachers, says that what you're aware of, you're in control of, and what you're not aware of is in control of you. Mm. So you even being aware of fear and how fear shows up in your life allows you to hold it out in front of you so you can recognize, oh, this is fear that's driving this conversation as opposed to, or this is fear that's driving this conflict with my partner as opposed to reality. Um, but if you try to push that down and pretend the fear is not there, you think it's gone, but it's just running the show unconsciously. You'll find stupid ways to numb yourself to your pain. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 what I, I wanted to bring it back to the to what you were saying about writing down the needs and and how important that point is about that initial like if you're talking about let's say your journey being uh, building fire mm. the spark is the most important part you know so like you can build and build and build as much as you want you can buy as many books or listen to as many podcasts or whatever and stack up your fire as hard as you can but if you've no spark and you've no way of actually igniting the flame to, to, to where it can burn. There's no, there's nowhere for that to go. Yeah. The wood is just going to sit there. Yeah. And so like when you, when somebody has their needs drawn down, is it, is the next step identifying areas of their life where their needs are not being met or, or is it identifying the, the, the behaviors they would wish to change? Yeah, there's, so there's different ways you could approach this. One is, some, some of my guys, I get them to get a journal and on the front of the journal, they write down five needs, specific needs that they have. So need could be, I have a need to spend time in nature on a consistent basis. I have a need to have time with my wife without the kids on a consistent basis. I have a need to um, see growth and development within my work. I have a need to... Uh, have some adventure in my life and I have a need to um, play the guitar. So everyone's going to be completely different and it can actually be very confronting for a lot of guys. The guys will cry sometimes like if, if, if they're, if they're, if they feel quite disconnected and say, I have no idea what my needs are. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, that's, that's confronting because you're like, geez, I've become so disconnected from myself. Okay, yeah. I've, my whole life has become about impressing other people unconsciously, like making enough money to, to keep up with the Joneses or whatever, but I don't know what, I, you see this with billionaires and millionaires that like struggle with 
you know, their, their themselves um, because they don't know who they are beyond the avatar that they've put out there as to who they are. So yeah, I would get guys to get a journal, try to get curious about the needs. Again, if you're struggling to find what your needs are, just consider like when has life been in most most in flow for you. And if you're really struggling to find your needs, I would suggest like those basics that we hear about all the time, you know, physical exercise, time in nature, connection with people that see the real you. That's I would say that's probably the most fundamental um, um, ally that we can have in life is people that accept us as we are. Um, the, do we ever analyze the needs? In what sense? Do we ever, uh, let's say you, one of the needs that you had just said there was to see growth in my business or mm. whatever the case may mm. be. Do we ever a try to analyze why that is such a big need? You could do. Mm. You could do. I mean, this stuff you could definitely get lost in, you know, but as a starting point for guys, my suggestion would be write down the couple of needs. The other thing, not to make it too complicated, but the other thing they could write down is their values. So if they think about three people that they admire in life mm. and write down all the things you admire about those people and then highlight the three words that stick out to you the most. Mm. So you might say, I admire Connor because he's disciplined, he pushes the boundaries of what's possible and he seems very authentic. And so maybe those point to values within yourself that you've disowned and you've put them on Connor because it's easier to see his magic than it is to see your own. And by writing them down in your journal alongside your needs, you've given yourself almost a compass and you can ask yourself at the end of each week, have I honored these needs? Have I made any time for nature, for the guitar, for my partner, for these things that I said were important? And have I lived in accordance to these values that I said was important? Have I been authentic? Have I pushed the boundaries of possibility? Have I, whatever your values are? And just reflect every week and don't beat yourself up if you didn't. One of the things I tell my guys all the time is if we, like we'll, we'll do work on how to deal with conflict with a partner, like how to work through a frustration so that rather than burying it, you actually bring it up, but in a way that you can work through it. And I'll say, if you get this right once out of 20 times, you're 99% ahead of most. Not that it's a competition, but getting, catching yourself once in your reactivity out of 20 times, that's huge progress mm. because we're very good at seeing, you know, what we haven't done or what's, you know, not being enough. This is what, this is another, that's one, one point. And I'm, I'm getting close to wrapping up this wonderful conversation. I'm already thinking there's got to be a second episode, I'd right? Love to. But the, 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 when we open up um, a new way of looking at our lives, that we have to be prepared that there would be shame yeah. and negative talk. And for somebody that is in a, um, a system of, they like to, get things done, to-do lists, and they're very bang, 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 bang. And then they do something like this yep. that doesn't have the nature of a of a normal to-do list. Yep. It's more of a mission statement, mm. a listed mission statement of like, okay, these are the things that that kind of, that bring me joy. These are my needs. Yep. Not so much that they just bring me joy, but they're my needs. They're, they're you could say you're non-negotiables nearly, right? Or you yep. could bring them to that point that when they don't hit those, mm. That's another thing where like when we, when I talk, this circles right back to us in, in the acceptance piece mm. to accept that. Yeah. Because that was something that I struggled with as well at the start of my own inner journey was that I wasn't the guy on the journey all the time. Mm. I wasn't the guy doing the work all the time. Mm. I wasn't the guy questioning everything all the time. I wasn't the guy accepting myself for who I was all the time. Mm. And I found that I figured out, I suppose, that that's completely and utterly part of the normal human process to anything yeah. is we can never be 
exactly who we want to be all the time. Um, and so you were saying there just to, to, you know, to accept that that will happen. Yeah. You know, it's all feedback. You know, if you can come to that place of just seeing everything as feedback, like, well, uh, here's a practical step for those people that are very kind of analytical or, or like to have the list or like to have the thing in front of them. For each of your needs, write down a couple of ways that you could potentially meet that need. So if you have a need for nature, maybe it's you go for a swim with your friends once a week or you go for a walk on your lunch break or you take your kids to the park uh, in the evening. So those are three options. So you got a lot of options then on paper and you can just tick the box then every day if you do one of them. Um, the other piece in terms of it all being feedback, if I look at my list at the end of the week, I, I almost feel like there's a delay or a lag with this stuff that if I don't meet my needs for a week, I'll get away with it. And then I'll start, my mood will start going and I'll be like, suddenly I'll be feeling more anxious, I'll feel more stressed, I'll be feeling more snappy with the people around me. And then I look at my list and say, I haven't been training jiu-jitsu, haven't been journaling, haven't been doing any of these things that help me. And similarly, when you start doing them, you might not notice the immediate effect, but you will build capacity over time. Um, this this kind of story came to me just as you were kind of talking about um, developing new new things or, or stepping into new things. When I was 25, I got this notion about surfing and I said, I, you know, I wish I'd started surfing when I was 20. And I felt I'm too old now. Like at 25, I'm too old. And then I got to 30 and I said, fuck, I should have started when I was 25. Now I'm 30 and I've still never surfed. So I booked in for a surfing lesson down in, um, uh, down in uh, Lahinch and drove down to Lahinch. It was like really warm day. The place was really busy. Um, it seemed like half Ireland was on the beach that day. And I booked in for a surf lesson. They said, there's two groups. You can decide what group you go with. There's a hen party and there's a 10-year-old birthday party. And so it's up to you. And so I said, I'll go with the hen party. And then like very quickly changed my mind and joined the 10-year-old birthday party. And I'm helping these 10-year-olds carry the surfboards down to the beach. And the beach is wedged. I've never surfed before. I'm 31, I think, at the time, out surfing with a bunch of 10-year-olds. And I felt someone grab my arm from behind and I turned around as one of my teachers from school. She said, we're so proud of you. We saw you on the Late Late Show. We showed to the kids. It's incredible. And she said, now you're teaching kids to surf. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I said, look, we're all doing our bit. And I went out for two hours, fell off the board for two hours. And the kids are getting up on the board. I'm getting sunburned and falling off and brought the boards back, trying to like not let anyone see me all sunburned and like uh, feeling like, uh, yeah, I just spent two, two hours falling off a board. Anyway, I drove back to Galway that day and I felt so accomplished and so happy because I recognized that an, like an ounce of action is worth a ton of thinking about something. And I'd spent like 10 years of my life thinking about going surfing. And then I had taken two hours or half a day of my life and I'd actually gone and done the thing. Mm. And that's where you have to start. My biggest belief in life is you get better at the things that you practice. So if you're not good at naming how you feel, you practice naming how you feel and you get better at being emotionally aware. If you're not good at communicating with your partner, you consciously choose. It's so easy to close our eyes to the things we're not good at or the things that we've told ourselves we're not good at. But generally, you're just not practicing those things. Mm. So, you know, I don't know if it's a bit of a tangent or a sideline, but it's easy to listen to podcasts and say, okay, well, you know, I, I should do this and I should meditate and I should do this because everyone's doing this, this, this and this. I think it's maybe a more useful exercise to look at your life and to maybe do a, the wheel of life that you mentioned, like an exercise like that, where you do a bit of an audit as that this is where I am in life. And then you ask yourself, where's the gap in terms of my skill set or my mindset? And the gap could be, you know, in work, you don't know how to do sales, or it could be in your relationship, you don't know how to communicate your needs, or it could be something sexually in relationship. Like there's something there 
that there's a gap between where you are and where you'd like to be and you've told yourself you're not good at it but you just haven't practiced in it so find the thing that you'd like to bridge the gap in find some teachers or some books or some coaches and just put some focus on that thing and commit to practicing and commit to being messy mm. uh, this is where I talk about range again it's so easy for us to default to the things that we're good at and just go back to work and just go back to the office and just go back to the place where I get my validation it's challenging that the, they talk about right four, four levels of consciousness in terms of learning something I always kind of messed this up but there's unconsciously incompetent is it incompetent unconsciously incompetent so your child is driving around in the car with you they don't know that you're driving or they don't know how to drive there's just no awareness really as to what's going on and then you become consciously incompetent so there's a sense of okay he's driving but I don't know how he's doing it mm. and then you become unconsciously competent which is where you start to drive and it's all a bit messy and you're kind of not sure what you're doing and you're trying to pull the gear stick and you, you're a bit lost so you have a sense I don't know what I don't know kind of thing mm -hmm. Or I'm starting to understand what I didn't know. And then finally you get to a point of mastery. The hardest part for us all in life is the bit where I don't know what I don't know. So you start something new. You're like, geez, I have no clue what I'm doing here. Mm -hmm. It's messy. I want to back away from it. If you can be one of the small percentage of people in life that's willing to be in that messy place, I think you can do anything. Um, yeah. To put it very, very succinctly, don't be afraid to be shit at something because that's actually so go. important. There you go. Isn't it? Like, yeah. it, to be fair. And I I, I, I see this um, as a, a great way, a great closing note, right? The, the amount of people, because I quite actively post about running all the time because I'm a run coach and I run, lots of people come to me about their stories around, about running. Mm. And a lot of them are, I used to be running all the time. I used to be, you know, three or four times a week. I used to, used to, used to. And I often ask them, I was like, what would you go for a run today? Right. And what's, it's not the, uh, the act of just putting on their runners and going for a run that's stopping them. It's the fear associated with not being the person they were in the story they just told me. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the fear that they're not going to be as fit, the fear of actually realizing where they are in their fitness, mm. do you get me? Of, yeah. of being shit. Yeah. And that was it that that's, I've felt that so many times in my life mm. where it's easier to not start things. Yeah. As you said, you know, and not try and, and not, and not, you know, be being average at something, you know, um, I, you know, and comparison is a killer and it's not just comparison with others it's comparison about who I used to be I've noticed I've had mental health challenges in my life at times where I've been clasping onto the past there's times in life where you just need to let go of the old version of you like you know people go I just want to get back to where I was five years ago you're not where you were five years ago yes. you're in a different chapter of life maybe you've got family now maybe you've got kids maybe your position has changed it's not to say you can't ex exceed what you did in the past but let's not use that as a, a measuring stick mm. um because, you know, there's possibility in your future. You, in rarely any, anybody would ever go backward in any other area of life. Yeah. Do you know, yeah. you, you know, when you look back at your career, do you want to go to the position you were in five years ago? Yeah. Where you were earning less money, you had less responsibility, you had less joy in your job, all this kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, but yet we want to do these things with the areas of life where, where we, you know, in terms of like, uh, where we were feeling great about something. Yeah. But I... Um, I, I feel like there is the, actually a lot of power in, as you said there, just letting go and letting what will happen, happen. 
And I talked to you about this before we got on air about worriers. And that's something that I've recognized within myself as people that worry about things that never happened. Mm. That absolutely drives me mad. Yeah. And I've accepted that as part of myself because like I don't I don't do that. So I can't empathize with them on the level that they're in. Mm. So that's my challenge as well, is like trying to understand why that, uh, you know, kind of irks me so much in that way and trying to understand like, okay, is this a, a part of my character that I that I can't accept, you know, and enabling me to not be this perfect person mm. as well. You know, like not be good at everything in terms of I don't I, I'm good. You know, I would class myself as have good interpersonal relationships with people, but yet I can't with certain people. Sure. So you're like, do you know, it's it, and and I think it's something that comes with the with this um, with this work is there are going to be certain things that jump out at you and you're going to feel like, mm, I wonder why that is. And my mom, my mom's a psychotherapist. Yeah. And she says, there's something about you that I don't like about me. Yeah. Yeah. Is such a, such something that, that hits with me um, on such a conscious level. Like it's like, I, there's something there that, and, and it used to happen an awful lot in social media where I come across somebody and immediately I'm like, no, we could never be friends. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we yeah. could I could never vibe with that person or whatever. And it, what, what it has shown me is that it actually tells me an awful lot about myself. And I feel like that is the same thing that you will be taught when you allow yourself to be bad at something mm. is to be, have that vulnerability with yourself, you know? So, um, Pat. <laughs> Enjoyed it, man. Yeah, no, man. That was. Um, thank you so much, man. I was. It was a pleasure to hear you speak. And I think what I really, um, what I really got from it myself is is the the practical tools and the practical way of of working it, which I feel like the the you've silenced the skeptic in me <laughs> of five years ago that that would have would have come come to this completely closed off to it. Sure. Because it when you when you speak it out. And you realize that, yeah, it actually has practical real world use. Um, it, I think people that are maybe class themselves as super logical thinkers can get down with that. Mm. With stuff that they can't touch. Sure. You can't, you know what I mean? Like uh, if you're a, if you're on a running program, you see yourself get fitter. Yeah. You know, you see yourself get better times in races. Whereas with this, it's a it's it's a lot less measurable, but a lot more powerful results i think yeah it's a feeling thing as opposed to a thinking thing um something i shared with my men's group last night i said when someone tells you a joke and you laugh you don't go to your head and like figure out why is that funny like there's just uh knowing like there's a connection and it's the same with having an insight so an insight is a sight from within where you hear something you don't need to write it down you don't need to remember it you don't need to underline it in the book so I'd suggest anyone that's listened to this or any other podcast, that's what I'd be looking for is just the insights. What pops out to you? What do you feel as opposed to trying to remember everything, trying to get it perfect, trying to get it right? Have you heard one thing today and you action that thing? I think, you know, that's that's the key. Yeah, no, and I, I'm sure there will be plenty of people that take things from this. So thank you so much for coming on, Pat. I really appreciate Pleasure. it. Man. Thank you, man.